And they came back after a couple of days and sort of acknowledged, yes, actually, that was an oversight. Um, and they've taken down the billboards and they've reprinted the billboards to uh, include light-stabilised hops. You're, you're more powerful than fair, Matt. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can get billboards yeah, changed with a single email. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt have been bringing you the world's best local and imported malts. They are your premium brewing partner and they are proud supporters of this. And this is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum. And joining me is Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Morning, Pete. How are you? Good. Good. Uh, listening back to last one and the comments um, apropos our last thing, I thought I'd be a little bit more up. Um, did you listen back and kind of think, who are these two blokes and what are they on? No, no. But, I, I'll be honest. I haven't had a chance to listen back to, to the bonus yeah, content. I just and, thought, yeah, uh, I, I just, I, well, no, even the uh, well, the bonus content I kind of understood because we were in a, a public space and we didn't want to kind of impose. I guess we probably uh, went a little bit um, uh, dulcet. Uh, but then when we recorded back down under, uh, listening back, I just sort of thought, oh, geez, I need to put this on time and a half because just to make it sound normal. I just <laughs> oh, I, was I think, it okay. Yeah, I just I think we just sounded perhaps a little bit lagged. Well, we were tired, and, and yeah, like yeah, we, we were tired, um, and yeah, okay. So it, it was literally hitting the ground running after uh, yeah the the long haul, uh, losing a day and all that sort of thing. We thought, oh no, no, if we you know getting back, get straight back on the horse that threw us kind of thing, and uh, and record. And so look, I hope our listeners do appreciate that. Um, that's a you know never work with what animals, children, and. Matt and Pete when they're tired, um, but I thought we did okay. And it gives our listeners a chance to to realise that you know there's many shades and many forms. We're not just you know caricatures. We're not we're not we're more than just Waldorf and Statler. No, and and yeah, maybe when the cameras weren't on Waldorf and Statler, they would often kind of you know just kind of hang back as if they were I don't know um, Cheech and Chong. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, you know, yeah, I sort of noted that I hadn't sort of really, we certainly hadn't been engaging in anything. We, uh, we'd we only had one beer by the time we recorded, so there was certainly no chemical assistance uh, with that. I think we were just uh, at, you know, in a public space and uh, a little bit tired. So anyway, let, exactly. let's move on. Speaking of public space, Matt, beautiful uh, intro there into, once upon a time, there was um, a brand that really kick-started what we now refer to, I guess, as the first wave of craft in Australia. A uh, bloke by the name of Phil Sexton uh, and a few mates created a brand called Matilda Bay. Yeah. Not, not situated in Matilda Bay, but actually uh, the view was Matilda Bay and that was kind of like it was a, a, foresaw, a foresight. It was looking forward. It was looking um, longing or uh, having a goal in mind um, was, was the whole Matilda Bay. And... Turns around 2019, and um, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And Matilda Bay, look, it's it's fair to say that you have been a fairly vocal critic, um, and, and with my support, 100%, that CUB perhaps has in the past uh, not been fully appreciative of what they had uh, and didn't really nurture the brand. I Well, it, it, it's one of those things. They're, they... I got the feeling that CUB was very much a brand company and not a beer company, um, if that makes sense. And 
you know, yeah, 100%. Matilda Bay was a very early days. You know, it it it, it, it was really interesting to hear Phil um, talk about um, the, the the early days and how CUB came to to be involved um, in, in the business. And uh, it, it's it's going to be a much longer chat that we're going to have um, with Phil. Uh, I'll have the Jamie Cook podcast. But, you know, I just got the feeling that um, CUB invested in, from what Phil said, they invested in because they had capacity on the on the West Coast, to give them capacity on the West Coast, more so than the Matilda Bay brand. Um, and the Matilda Bay, and then they didn't really know what to do with the Matilda Bay brand. It was the early days of craft beer. I, I think CUB is really only starting to get its head around you know, incubating um, or growing its craft beer um, business. Um, and Matilda Bay was collateral damage through all of that. So, um, yeah, like, it, it, but in, in terms of the announcement, we'd heard quite a bit about Phil Sexton had plans to come back into beer. Um, and I, I think you'd heard that it was Matilda Bay. Um, I certainly hadn't. I knew that he had. I'd heard that there was something in the works for Hillsville. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Well, I'd heard, I'd heard uh, whispers along the grapevine that the pre, the former White Rabbit site, which remember was originally uh, part of um, the Golden Triangle, so there was going to be a Beechworth Bakery, there was going to be a winery, come function room, come restaurant, and there was going to be a, a small brewery. Um, now, from memory. Uh, Something to do with council. There were the three plots of land. Uh, there was development application was for one, but not for the other two, or for the two, but not the other one. There's all sorts of bits of you know local politics and and bullshit that was associated with that. It didn't end up being, I guess, what the initial plan uh, set out to be. And I'm sure once you chat with Phil, all all will be revealed and uh, fill in the gaps there. I'm, I'm sure I've got a, a few grey spots in there, but. Uh, when White Rabbit then subsequently was uh, bought by Lion and it was decided that, yeah, that's not the spot for it, we'll move, um, it, it kind of, yeah, just sat in no man's land there. And, and I had heard that um, Matilda Bay was going to be re-implanted in there, but I, I think I probably assumed that it was going to be CUB um, doing what they had started to do at Port Melbourne, which is now Colonial, Um but on a smaller scale in Hillsville. Separately, I'd heard, as you had, that um, that Phil Sexton was looking to get back in. I hadn't necessarily put the two together until, you know, I sort of heard the same things over and over again and the, uh, I guess, the, the, the field of focus narrowed. Yeah, but it, look, anyway, the, the response was interesting. Um, you know, hey, Matt, isn't it amazing how many people um, have still got a real spot of loyalty um it, it was you know for so many people it was uh our first introduction to craft beer it was such a fiction for the brand still yeah yeah but also even things like um and i know it was a, a slightly different arrangement but things like the redback brewery um which was a branded brewery in in north melbourne uh which was the first uh after the g bun polo club or, or those sort of places that was sort of a a microbrewery with a venue um and it was that I, I think the forerunner to it laid the groundwork for things like the small uh brew pubs that we um that we we know and love today but it was really interesting yeah to see the 
the volume um, of response from um, younger drinkers as well as seasoned veterans uh, and those who were inspired by beers like Redback, by beers like Dog Bolter and that sort of thing. My One of my earliest memories, my very first, um, first time on an aeroplane, I was 22, I think, Matt, or 23, um, and went to WA for a wedding, a mate's wedding, and we went to... Uh, we went to Matilda Bay and we drank Dog Bolter, which at that point was a 9% like an English strong ale and uh, knocked several of us on our bottles. <laughs> well, it, yeah, yeah. So uh, we, did, we, didn't know, we didn't know you could get a beer that was 9%. We just said, oh, yeah, we'll have that one. Because it just sounded, yeah, Dog Bolter, how, how, you know. It was yeah. dog, exactly, and, and Phil's talked about that. You know, that we've got an extensive uh, history of uh, articles on, on, on the website if you're, if you're interested. But the thing that I found most interesting from the response was um, a lot of people who obviously have no, you know, a lot of people who, you know, participate actively in Facebook groups and, are, you know, relatively new to, to, to craft beer um, and, you know, are, are full of the excitement of the new and the adventure and the discovery and the um, creativity. Um, there was a, a bit of a feeling amongst them, you know, what's what's the relevance of a beer like Redback or Dog Bolter or you know, even Alpha Pale Ale, that if you speak to Brad Rogers, um, I believe Brad was playing around at Masthead Brewery um, in, in the late 90s, um, and there's even a chance that the Alpha Pale Ale uh, was, you know, coming out or was being developed a little bit before Little Creatures um, came out. Little Creatures oh, well before. Yeah, yeah. yeah if I remember, it was the uh, before it became Sanctuary Cove, Brewery, yeah, it was, it, it, well, it was Sanctuary Cove when it opened, and then it became Masthead, I believe. Masthead Brewery, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so there was, there's been quite a bit of interest in the relevance of those styles. I, I, listen to the podcast if you haven't already, because it was a fascinating discussion, and, you know, Phil speaking very eloquently about not dismissing, you know, milkshake neepers, you know, expressly, so saying, yeah, they're fun, but for him, the craft of brewing is making beautiful liquid out of malt, water, hops, and yeast, you know, as he said, a very German approach, um, and it's going to be interesting to see how bringing that approach to craft beer, uh, or, you know, to, to a reinvigorated Matilda Bay brand, what the take-up of that is going to be, you know, is, is there still a place for those beers? Is there, you know, can you bring those beers back and make them succeed and find, um, you know, have them find favour in a market that is looking for novelty in the um, sense that it's experimental and fun and novelty in the, the sense that it's new? All of that is it a little bit like uh, some of the uh, Hawaii Five O, the new you know it's it's not we're not it's a reboot re it's a it, well it's a it's a reimagining or it's you know we're we're going to use the same characters but uh, in a in a different you know different storylines and we're going to modernise it it would be interesting to see whether or not Matilda Bay comes back as it was as almost like a heritage brand or is it. Um, Here's what we set out to do. We think a lot of that is still relevant, but here's, you know, I guess a, a 2019 take. Well, look, I get the feeling that CUB just isn't using Matilda Bay. Um, we've recently seen Yak Ales um, change its name to Yak Brewing, um, you know, on the Facebook and, and various things. So I think that was part of the clearing the decks to make to give Matilda Bay clear air without the the um, you know Yak. Um, 
as part of the Children Bay family. Yeah. Um, yep. to, to, and and I, I get the feeling that this isn't we're going to have a like a, a Matilda Bay brew house in um, Hillsville and then release these through bottle shops nationwide. I get the feeling that Dog Bolter, Alpha, um, hopefully Bow Pills um, and Redback are going to be brewed at this little brew pub in Hillsville um, and just distributed um, initially um, to, to the environs. And, you know, maybe we'll see a Furphy where one or two of them will be through demand, you know, will go nationally. Oh, do you mean, Did you mean a story that's based on fact but that is not particularly, that may have a little bit of mayonnaise put on it or... <laughs> The oh, no, no, the, 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 the beer, uh, right, okay, you know, yeah. which was meant to be the um, the, the local beer to appease the, uh, the the locals of Geelong and wasn't meant to be, you know, spoken about out, you know, nationally because it was a local beer. Um, so yeah, look, I, I just sort of, look, I, I'm really excited um, to see uh, whether or not the, the, the beers take. Very excited that Phil um, is back. Actually, Prof, I, I, one of the nicest things personally for me. Um, in, in speaking to Phil about it was just before the mic started, um, just before the recording started, um, I sort of said, look, you know, we'll, we'll have to keep this very much to Matilda Bay, but I'd love to um, do a much longer chat with you. Um, you know, we, we did one with Jamie Cook recently, with which was, and, you know, I didn't even finish that. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I, oh, yeah I heard that. It was really good. I'd, lo- I'd love to do it. And uh, then during the uh, the um, conversation, he also uh, said, yeah, look, you know, from reading Brews News, I, you know, I can sort of see the difficulty. And for somebody who, you know, obviously has been around in the beer industry for a little while now, but was inspired by somebody like Phil Sexton, um, you know, Redback in the late 80s got me interested in, in beer, seriously. And then to have something that I've done be on his radar, it was a little bit like, you know, running into Paul McCartney going, oh, yeah, I really liked your last album. Um, and, you know, going... Yeah, being inspired by the Beatles and then having find out that they actually listen to what you do. Yeah, there you go. I was I was actually going to uh, read ahead of the mailbag. I was just going to jump in, and so I did get a message from uh, one of our loyal listeners um, saying that Phil Sexton is a podcast listener. It was kind of like hearing John Lennon has a copy of your album. <laughs> that was a Matt of Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, sent, it, it was sent me that. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it was really cool. Um, you know. I, I, I don't mean to go all fanboy or anything like that, but uh, you know, as we often say, Prof, you know, this is you and your and my disembodied voice um, on the end of a microphone, and sometimes it feels like we're shouting into a uh, into a dark room, an empty void. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, you know, but as I often say, be careful what you say because you just don't know who might be listening. <laughs> you don't know who's listening, particularly. And shout out to uh, both. Um, uh, Luke and Phil, um, who are listening in Burma and or Myanmar and uh, Korea, um, whose beers conversations have gone up uh, in in the last couple of weeks as well, because uh, met them in Seabrew uh, in Bangkok and their their listeners, and it's 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 you know it's actually really exciting to uh, to to know that we it's not just you and I having a chat yeah, once a week. Yeah. So if you did if you did miss Matt's chat with Phil Sexton um, from our special edition of Radio Brews News from Monday, uh, jump on the website and find it, download it, and have a listen. Somebody else, Matt, who might be listening are the good friends of ours at uh, Fair, who keep everything honest. Apropos this week's news that ABAC ruled against uh, three different beer products. Well, yeah, it, it's 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 been quite the. Um 
the the ABAC week, and, and we, we we covered the fact that Fair had gone to town, and thank you to a listener um, who tipped us off to the Fair post, Michael Thorne's post about the Kellogg's beer. Um, and again, it's just legitimate. It, it, it's not clickbait, you know. It's just it, it it's industry news, and that's what we cover. Um, and it was very interesting to see that a beer that you know a beer that just sort of seemed to blunder blindly into a minefield of of ABAC without even realising it um, had, had gone in, and ABAC was actually telegraphed their complaint. But this week, we've seen a number of anonymous complaints are coming back. Um, and uh, decisions being handed down. Well, well informed anonymous complainants. Yeah, and look, that was that we inserted that line because I, I, I thought it was worth remarking on. Um, and, and Claire, Claire had actually remarked on it because complainants are anonymous. And on one hand, ABAC is meant to be representing community standards. When you represent community standards, it's members of the community going, "I saw this." ad for beer or I saw this beer can and I was surprised because it was this. These complainants are not just you know concerned members of the community. These are people who are incredibly informed, who are aware of the precedent decisions that have been made um, by ABAC and are militantly pursuing an agenda to keep moving the ball forward, which as I remarked on Twitter yesterday, you know, the great irony is Fair wants to bash ABAC and call it a toothless tiger and that it's pointless and it's the industry defending itself. And yet ABAC, Fair has... But it's using it as its personal attack dog. Yeah. And and Fair has achieved much more, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, labelling change um, and much more attention for uh, the code by, through its actions in complaining to ABAC than it has in any other forum um, to date. So I was, I have to say, Pete, I was quite surprised um, at the squish um, one, um, but it just, you know, it, it really does put the industry on on notice um, about what they need to consider. They're, you know, for a long time, labelling has been a free-for-all, both in terms of, you know, IP infringement and just trying to be fun and inviting and engaging, um, you know, through colours and cartoons and artwork that's designed to appeal to everybody. And, you know, the, the, the findings that are coming out of ABAC is that you need to, to really consider, you know, font types and artwork and even colours um, that are being used and names because if it has the potential, even if it appeals to adults and even if it's designed to appeal to adults... If there is a perception that it can, that it could appeal to children, um, then it's going to be very much in the crosshairs. Yeah, it's interesting that they use uh, ABAC uses terms like uh, a reasonable person. Now, for me, Matt, I, I don't know about you. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to invoke Charles Darwin and his theory of natural selection here in a minute. But seriously, if you are going to mistake something, and let's use squish as the example. Oh, I didn't know it wasn't soft drink or it wasn't orange juice. Well, it wasn't in the orange juice aisle. You cannot get beer in an orange. You're never going to find fixation no, bet, squish well, but, IPA anywhere near. But mate, as we know, soft drink you know, products. Once you just once the beer leaves the brewery, you you lose control over where it where it, where it's at, and you know because. 
parents presumably buy it in the alcohol aisle of a bottle shop and they can put it in um, the fridge um, at home. And it the I, I know what you're saying, and you know I don't necessarily disagree with it. Um, but alcohol is in a special class of products that it is heavily regulated. Um, and it's, you know, it's the same as gambling, it's the same as tobacco, a whole range of things that have been deemed, um, you know, legal for sale, um, or legal to use, but with concerns around them that require, uh, legislation. And if you accept that, um, alcohol is a potentially, you know, risky product, that it should be kept away from under 18s, then, there are going to be there is going to be legislation about it. In in the case of Fair and a lot of the lobbyists, they're not just looking at it as a casual person. They are deeply suspicious um, that the alcohol industry is trying to groom, which is the word that they've used in, in in the past, and make drinking attractive to a whole generation of consumers. And you know, I guess you can come up with the you know, idea that um, cigarette companies used to give money to movie studios to include characters smoking in it or, um, you know, sort of making smoking look cool because, you know, 15-year-olds would see um, movies that made smoking look cool and sophisticated. Um, and that was a way that they made smoking look like something that was attractive to do. And fair and any alcohol com- campaigners come at it with that level of suspicion that they don't look at it that these are just breweries trying to have some fun with their brand, trying to appeal to adults who have memories of, you know, um, DC Comics or whatever. They think that it's grooming and making alcohol attractive to, to the next level of, um, you know, the under 18 consumers. So as soon as they, you know, so either they start drinking as juveniles or, they are in, you know, uh, inculcated with a desire to drink before they turn eighteen, and that is what these decisions are trying to um, head off. So that that's my understanding of, of what their argument would be. Yeah, and look, as long as they're spending their whatever spare time, a uh, little spare time they appear to have, um, aiming the same shotgun at uh, skateboarding or McDonald's or anything else that you know, if not used correctly. Um, can prove dangerous. Well, except their their remit is purely about alcohol. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's not about sugar. There, there are groups that are campaigning about. You know, there are dietitians who campaign about. Um, yeah, my point, know, Matt, is that everything everything we do in life is potentially dangerous oh, no, if I you abuse it. Oh no, no. Well, I, I agree. Except fast food isn't regulated. You can make the argument that it is, but do we really want it to be? You know, when, when we can just sort of educate children. Alcohol is one of those things. And look, you know, it, it's been something that I've sort of talked about in the past because the inherent nature of alcohol is that it has the capacity to reduce our, or to, to lower our judgment. Um, and so it, it is a special class of products for, for, for that reason, um, quite apart from any health concerns or anything like that. You know, it, it has it it does have um, an impact on our um, you know rational selves. Yeah, I, I, w- I would argue that just the right amount gives you clarity. Oh, absolutely, and and and, and I, I completely agree. I guess the thing for me is that do you want people who don't have maturity um, experimenting with alcohol? 
and you know what the right age to introduce children to alcohol is you know i i, I don't know but yeah. um i yeah it look it, it alcohol is a very vexed issue um I, I hear what you're saying, I, but I, I, I think that we shouldn't be making alcohol look attractive and cool to a young generation because they don't necessarily have the maturity to cope with it. And once you're doing that, you know, you, you need to draw a line around what your marketing is to ensure that it doesn't uh, appeal to people like that. And I would just hope that, you know, in in modern society, we can create some sort of mentoring or, uh, oh, hang on, there is parents. Um it, you know, to, to take on that role of, of educating young and impressionable minds. Hey, the interesting thing too that I really want to point out was the uh, measured and articulate response and perhaps the difference between the responses from two of the um, breweries that were found against that I thought really, I guess, summed up a lot of the business maturity that, um, that goes on and that lacks. That, that we lack um, in the craft beer industry. I thought that um, Fixation's response was um, measured, intelligent. Um, they responded really well. I think perhaps the other one, which was the Joker one, that may want to have a look at perhaps their PR style. <laughs> well, anyway, yes. yes. And, now, and the third one was Heineken, Heineken double uh, zero. The interesting thing about that was it was pre-vetted. By you know, so so that campaign was yeah. pre-vetted by ABAC, and then, and the difference in, in that was that it was a print magazine. So the whole, I guess, the, the gist of it was that um, fine detail was was the the quote. The ABAC panel said that um, because it was in a print magazine, there was time for a viewer to look at it in more detail, as again something like a um, you know a motorist passing a billboard or a bus stop sign that sort of thing. Is yeah. that, am I reading that right? Yeah, that, that's my understanding. And, and th- this is how nuanced these things are. And look, and, and full credit to ABAC for actually going, you know, ABAC's not just shooting from the hip. They are thinking very carefully about, you know, their, their findings. And that's what FAIR is using. So FAIR is going through and, you know, a, a couple of months ago we had a, a, a finding about skateboarding. Um, you know, and holding a drink about skateboarding, and they looked at what the rational rationale for that decision was, and now any activity that is potentially dangerous. So they had a photo of somebody holding a drink next to a pool, um, and they complained that you know that's insinuating that it's okay to, to drink and then go swimming when it just wasn't. But th- 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 this is fair, you know, militantly trying to bring about legislative change by stealth using something that it, that, it, that it criticizes. Um, in the in the case of the Heineken one, I just sort of think I, I just sort of shake my head at this because you, you've got businesses that are actively trying you know actively trying to play into this modern mindset that um, a lot of young people don't want to drink, and so they're creating a product that you know caters to that. Anti-alcohol lobbyists see it again as a trojan horse to try and lure people into alcohol yeah as opposed yeah. to trying to sort of modify their businesses to cater to people that don't want to drink and one of the speaking to people in retail and speaking to people who um are, you know are, are market analysts there is apparently a, a lot of research or a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest that alcohol alcohol free beers despite my uh, expectations are actually taking off the 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 alcohol free category is growing um, quite substantially, um, and one of the things that's driving it is young people who don't want to lose control. 
but they're drinking beer because they don't want to have to justify socially why they're not drinking. So if you, you can have an alcohol-free beer and nobody knows about it. You know, you can just sort of have a beer and it looks like it. You don't have to make any excuses. You don't have to make any, uh, you know, uh, apologies for not drinking because it looks like you're drinking. And so these products are actually helping people not to drink. And now Fair wants to actually, you know, Fair wants to scupper the, you know, they're they're, they're being counterproductive is what I'm trying to say. They're actually hurting their own case. Yeah. All right. So uh, read those stories. And thank you again to Claire Burnett for um, getting straight onto Isn't those. Isn't she awesome? Yeah. She is a little bit. Hey, Pete, uh, um, just, just to, speaking of uh, things that can't quite be read on billboards um, because uh, you're driving past them, um, do you reckon that if I was to put um, a, a recipe on a billboard um, and write it over 3,500-odd words, you'd be able to, uh, to, to read it and take it all in? I, I wouldn't even... If I'm driving, I'm not really. I'm just glancing at billboards. You know, perhaps if I'm stuck in traffic, I'm certainly not cognizant of the fact that there's 3,500 words on oh, a billboard. I'd probably look at that and go, "TLDR." <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, that um, there, Lol, was a, there, 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 there was a story this week that might surprise people uh, that, that I wrote uh, looking at Pure Blonde's latest uh, transparency campaign, and there is a lot in this. Um, a little bit of cynicism in the form of yes. Um, we've been so transparent that we've given you chapter and verse, um, all 3,500 words of how our beer is made. Including name-checking um, a loyal listener, I believe, to the program, um, Tom Adams. <laughs> Tom Adams, yes, gets a, you mad bastard, Tom. Um, <laughs> or what, you, you, He's a madman or, or And whatever. get out of Tom. It was, it was lovely to catch up, to bump into him accidentally. In, Far too um, briefly. Yeah, in, uh, in Colorado. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so the, the, and look, there is so much about this... Um, Campaign. So, so for those who haven't seen it, Matt, Company Nida Breweries has added an organic version to of its pure blonde, pure blonde, pure blonde range. Yep. I didn't even know there was a range, but apparently there's a range of pure. Are we going to get pure blonde brewery? Well, there's uh, pure blonde. There's a mid strength. Well. Now there's an organic. Um, there's an organic. There's a pure blonde cider that has now gone organic. So yeah, look, it, it, there's a couple of. So pure is it, and, and is this billboard kind of taking a leaf out of Pirate Life's book, where you know, if you, if you look along the, around the the rim of the the the, the top of the can, um, there's basically the the ingredients and the recipe for for making the beer. So are they kind of taking a leaf out of that book and saying, we're not hiding anything? So much so, here, here, here's the recipe of, of, of how we make the beer. It was a real surprise because they, you know, breweries, and in the past I've taken CUB, the same brewery, to task about, you know, being completely closed about, you know, they talk about the extended lagering of um, Crown Lager, but wouldn't tell you how much. Um, time is the fifth ingredient. Um, well, it doesn't have cane sugar in it. You know, you're not telling people about that. Um, and this is a billboard that they've posted um, uh, you know, chapter and verse. You know, I think it, it, it's about two point three kilos of malt to one point seven kilos of sugar, which is you know <laughs> that's a fairly significant um, adjunct load. And they refer to the adjuncts. They that, talk- that's not that's not the fifth ingredient. That's the second ingredient. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they they talk about brewing. Um, they don't call it high gravity brewing, but they talk about. Um, you know, watering it down, and they don't say that they make it. Um, I've had one brewer tell me that it's based on the, this recipe. They are fermenting it at eight to nine percent, but they do acknowledge that they take deaerated water and they dilute it down to the four percent bottling strength. Um, so it, essentially, they acknowledge 
they're high gravity brewing. Um, they talk about um, putting some malt uh, extract back in because low carb beers have very low, um, you know, flavor. So like, like the mouthfeel. Yeah, like like mouthfeel. And there's a whole lot of stuff, you know, that, that borders into food science um, that we've always known. You know, like I, I describe, you know, pure blonde as being like a plastic wrap cheese slice because yes, the same ingredients are there as cheese, but then there's so much food science that goes into making it what it is. And, you know, they, they spin it, sure, but they put it out there um, to be scrutinized. Um, and, you know, not, not being a, hopefully not being a dick or anything like that, but I just sort of noticed, you know, I, I shot them a couple of questions just based on the campaign because I read all 3,500 words. And admittedly, I had to uh, blow up the photo. I didn't read it on a um, billboard. Um, but, you know, I noticed that it's a very light green glass bottle um, and they're talking about organic uh, hot pellets. And I thought, oh, that's interesting that they've, that they don't use light stabilized hops because obviously they don't because they don't mention it on the uh, billboard and they came back after a couple of days and sort of acknowledged yes actually that was an oversight um and they've taken down the billboards and they've reprinted the billboards to uh, include light stabilized hops you're you're more powerful than fair matt <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, billboards yeah, changed with a single email well look and again look i, I don't want to sort of say yeah I, I, i'm not saying this for that reason um but in in the past you know i've gone toe to toe with uh you know cub over the byron bay lager and their lack of transparency and their dishonesty around that um Crown Lager's uh, ingredients, um, Crown Lager's backstory. And every time I've raised issues in the past where I felt that their advertising hasn't been um, quite honest. Um, well, accurate. Uh, well, uh, Some, Sometimes, Matt, the, the brand stories get a little bit diluted you know, sometimes in the, 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 oral, the oral tradition when the... Yeah, the bloke who's looking after it this week yeah. hands over to the bloke who's looking after it for the next three weeks before he hands over to another bloke who's going to get it for maybe a month. Fair call, profit. The, the story so, perhaps gets... Sometimes the marketing copy can get in the way of what the actual clarity of the story is. The, the yeah, and, and don't forget, presumably somebody said, hey, have you seen that um, that YouTube video when the Queen visited the <laughs> Crown factory? Oh, and so then you see it and you go, you don't look at it and go, oh, that's Carlsberg. You go... Well, somebody said that this, this is, you know, when this she is, came... This is her madge. This is yeah, uh, yeah Liz. Um, yeah, yeah. I wonder but, if she got the uh, the 86 tram and then just walked down Victoria Street um, <laughs> to Abbotsford. <laughs> <laughs> but as a great... And this is a great example of, of that because the initial copy to the marketing um, included the uh, couple of lines, send the, spend, the leftover spent grain to local farmers to be reused as animal feed. These farmers may or may not thank you with a firm handshake and a stoic nod of the head that says, I've seen many things in this here land, drought, floods, the birth of a two-headed baby calf, but never in all of my years of back-breaking toil have I seen a gesture quite like this. Thank you, kind man and or woman. Thank you. Now, you know... Invo invoice to follow. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, um, you know, when, when they've sat down with the brewers to talk about the process, you know, oh, yeah, so we take the spent grain and it goes off to farmers. Some, some, a, a reasonable I, person, Matt, do you think would in, would would take from that that there is no... Um, uh, that it's given. Yeah. That yeah. it's given away. Because that reads There's no, like, no expectation of recompense. And, you know, Pete... It, it, in, like, in the way that was written. And it was beautifully written. 
Oh, it was but, beautiful. Like, whoever's done it has, has, has done it well. And, and, it, and it's telling a story, but it was a story that wasn't quite accurate. And so I called them out because I know that, um, you know, there are contracts awarded to dairy farmers. And uh, I did a brewery tour of the Adela Brewery once. And as part of the tour, um, the tour guide, you know, sort of said, oh, yeah, and we sell the spent grain to dairy farmers. And they report that their milk production is up 30%. Um, which was how we were aware of um, that. It's a win-win business transaction. It, 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 no criticism for them doing that. But then when you're you know, running a marketing campaign and it looks like you're such good blokes that you give it away. Um, but again, you know, I just sort of queried them about that. You know, has there been a change in policy and a change in practice? And they acknowledge good call. The line was tongue-in-cheek to add some levity to the ad and uh, should not have been in the final copy. Um, we're removing this line in all of our digital assets. Um, actually, I just suddenly clued to the fact that they're removing this line in all of their digital assets, but probably not their. Um, obviously, the billboard hasn't been changed. <laughs> so, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see some bloke in white overalls just uh, adding an asterisk to all the billboards. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> may, may or may not be so. Anyway, but so, so I thought that was quite. A, yeah, look, it, it says a lot um, because it does invite scrutiny. Which is something big brewers have never really, you know, they they try and you know they they've always um, there was even an ad recently I can't remember what it was. Um, uh, it, it was a big brewery ad, and it was somebody standing in front of a, a very small production brewery, you know, not uh, in in front of the giant um, fermenters at uh, Yaddle or Abbotsford. Um, or I think it was even a line one, you know, so it was in one of their small pilot breweries um, because they don't want to look huge. They want to look small. And uh, so th- this was quite a big thing for Pure Blonde. The, the one thing, I, the, the other thing that it invites is that, you know, they highlighted that the hops were from the USA, the malt was from Germany, the uh, um, organic sugar was from Brazil, and the malt extract is sourced from the UK. <laughs> And you kind of think, well... Oh, bugger, food miles. Um, <laughs> what's the point of being organic if you're just sort of adding 10 years it's, ago? It's, it's feel good, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, it, 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 it's a marketing angle. It's not a substantial um, product launch. Um, and uh, and as we know, for many people, Matt, seeming is, is far more appropriate than... Than being. Being. Yeah. Which is interesting because 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago, Cascade launched Cascade Green, where they, you know, it was a very similar sort of campaign. Carbon neutral, wasn't it? Carbon neutral. And they were one of the first carbon neutral beers. Um, Well, yeah, but then you can do set offsets around that. And they do talk, and, you know, VB was talking about, you know, their glass is, you know, X percent lighter than regular stubbies because of the design. And so it, you know, lowers the, and these are all things, mate. For, for all of the talk about, you know, no beer on a dead planet, um, as we talked about when that came up, actually doing good or being, um, you know, having a low footprint is incredibly hard. It is re- because, you know, we've got beers being air freighted around to be fresh because people want fresh. Well, you can't have fresh and, you know, you can't have fresh neepers and a low carbon footprint. Um, so, look, it, 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 it's a really tough one. But, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's an interesting campaign. Yeah, and well done to um, to CB and the marketing department there, obviously for for responding to that and um, and changing the billboards. Now, Matt, I don't know whether you could fit three. Was it thirty five hundred words? Yep. 
uh, on a label. But if anyone could do it, it would be our good <laughs> friends at Rellings Label Stickers and Packaging. You can call them on one three hundred eight five two two three five to discover a more efficient way to get your small batch canning labels done. And in fact, if you want to be small but appear big, Rellings can help you out there as well. Nicely done there. And maybe I wonder if Rellings do billboards because Seamless. that might be a cheap way of you know replacing oh, the... Rellings label stickers, packaging, <laughs> and, and billboards. Billboarding. Because if you run a thirty-five hundred word uh, campaign that needs to be changed at the last minute, maybe Rellings can shrink wrap a billboard for you. Well, actually, maybe our, our good our good friends at CUB could speak to our very good friends at Rallings and see if they can make some um, the aforementioned asterisk stickers for their billboards. <laughs> I reckon uh, they could do that. Nicely done. Hey, Matt, hey, Matt recently we were in Colorado. Do you remember that? I do. Of course you do. It was only last week. It was, um, no, was it last week? God, it's very just... interesting news that Colorado's oldest craft brewery is downsizing um, by ending distribution um, and in the process laying off 21 employees. In 1979, in a goat shed on a small farm in North Boulder, two physics professors and an engineer started Boulder Beer Company, Colorado's first craft brewery. Forty years later, that once goat shed brew house sells more than 16,000 barrels annually. Work that out in hectolitres, folks, the smart ones among you, and distributes its beer in 34 states, but not anymore. After celebrating its 40th anniversary uh, just a few months ago, um, Boulder Beer Company announced it is shrinking operations, laying off 21 employees and ending the widespread distribution, which means that its beer will soon be available only at its Boulder brew pub. Do you think, Matt, given that we also visited the empty shell that once was the very vibrant Bridgeport Brewery in Portland, Oregon, that they've maybe sniffed the wind and said, looking at it now, if Bridgeport perhaps had focused on or unfocused on, on such widespread distribution and just tried to be Portland's go-to brew pub restaurant function space and that was the place where you could get the beers, do, do you think there's maybe something in the – Mate, th- th- that was pretty oh, much why I threw it in. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, because I looked at that and thought, oh, if only, if only. Because there must be some parallels. And, and and I would guess, too, that it's it's not the first, it won't be the last. Um, in fact, Wincoop, where we um, you recommended and was one of the best nights I reckon we had um, on our US trip, uh, not necessarily for the, the range of the beers, but just for so many reasons, and the story there is very similar. It, it mirrors these um, Boulder Beer Company and Bridgeport to an extent that they used to distribute. Now it's only really just uh, they've stopped distribution. You can come in, you can go in and get a, a crowler, or a, I think they might have had growlers as well. Uh, but basically, if you want Winko beer, that's where you go. Yeah. And, and and it looked like look the the joint was heaving. It seemed like it was a thriving business. Um, there was certainly plenty of staff around. Yeah, and and that's pretty much why I threw it into the show notes because you know we we're not we don't we're not covering stories for a US audience, but um, we're looking at stories that we think are have some relevance to our you know heavy industry uh, listening uh, audience. And um, having just come back from the states and seen you know spoken to a number of um, brewers and you know listened to what they were saying about um, the big you know, multi-regional and national um, brewers are, you know, suffering the death of 6,000 cuts. Um, they're finding it very hard to grow, um, and particularly the ones that, you know, invested in doubling their production, you know, in creating production venues on the other side of the country or in, in, in second um, locations. They're the ones that are very much struggling. Um, and 
I, I think that Australian brewers, what there's still a bullishness. We're still seeing growth here. We are a little bit behind, um, but any brewery that's investing heavily in um, capacity with an eye to distribute or because they currently have um, distribution, um, you know, they, they want to be thinking what their strategy will be around that because we are seeing, as you said, Wincoop, um, one of the pioneers in Denver um, and now um, Boulder Beer Company, um, another one, are, are cutting their losses and saying we don't want to be, you know, what's the point in, you know, having truckloads of pale ale crossing, crisscrossing each other on the highway when consumers are very much looking at local. And uh, that actually, there was something that uh, Garrett from uh, Maui Brewing uh, commented on, you know, the the definition oh, of local is is constantly yeah how changing. how much is how much it's changed yeah yeah so uh, yeah so again that it was just now um, I do have a correction for last week prof um, last week was called the Peloton effect which was something that I not read elsewhere um, but somebody asked me this week whether it was mine and so I googled it and the Peloton effect has actually been used quite a few times um, apparently there's some exercise equipment called Peloton um, and so it's a health effect. Um, I don't think anyone's ever used it to describe the, uh, the the following group swerving to avoid the obstacle that the uh, leaders see. Um, but anyway, so th- th- this is another example of uh, potential, you know, peloton effect um, uh, for for Australian brewers. Um, you know, look at what's going on in other markets. Um, decide whether it's relevant here. Whether we will, uh, you know, whether we've got to cross that bump at some stage as well and take evasive action early. Well, particularly given that whilst we have the advantage of being able to to self-distribute, uh, which obviously makes things a little bit easier, we then have the tyranny of distance of, uh, you know, if you want to take it to, to another state, it's not just a send somebody out, you know, you can't just send a, a rep out and, and get them to Tetris, you know, a couple of kegs and a handful of cases into the back of the, um, you know, the Hyundai gets and, uh, and just get your distribution done that way it's it's a lot more difficult in australia yeah now i can't remember who the conversation was with but somebody mentioned this week that they'd costed you know say you're a brisbane brew pub or a brisbane brewery um you you know have been selling a few kegs and cartons into new south wales for example decide to take the punt and uh go you know, go large and put a sales rep on. Um, you're looking at apparently, um, and depending on the, the the salaries and things like that, you, you you're looking at an investment, an annual investment of a hundred thousand dollars a year. One twenty five. One twenty five. Yeah. Where where did that come from? Jono Jono Ward, Jonathan Ward from um, Brick Lane Brewing did a presentation at BrewCon. That's what it was. Okay. Yes. So yeah. I, I want to get uh, Jonathan on and sort of talk a little bit about that because. That was a, you know, that, that's a, that's an astounding figure, and you know, when when you consider that those costs come out of the profit for selling beer, um, you know, and, and, and assuming your profit on a, you know, two hundred and eighty dollar, two hundred ninety dollar keg, like your, um, once you take out the cost of the ingredients, not your all of your other costs, you know, say you're making a hundred dollars a keg um, to to cover your business costs after the ingredients and everything. Um, you know that's a lot of uh, beer that you need to be selling to justify that role, um, and that and that's if your salesperson is the only game in town. 
That's, remember, yeah. You've got to remember there's, there's four, you know, potentially 400 others knocking on the same door two minutes later or, you know, the week earlier. Mate, absolutely. And absolutely uh, you Which know, all gets back, doesn't it, Matt, to, well, here's a tip, make better beer. Like make your beer the one that people want to buy. But make uh, them come to you. There, there was a great uh, edition of, uh, and, and I, I, I wrote this one down and it's just not in my notebook that's handy, but there was, I, I think it was the, uh, the Beer Varna podcast where they were talking to um, the brewer from Gigantic Brewing um, who basically said, you know, look, whatever model you decide to go with, um, you know, whether it's a big production brewery, small local brewery um, or anything in between, you have to tailor your beers and your businesses, your, your beer and your business practices to that um, you know, you can't be the guy who says, I want to make the beers that I want to drink um, and plan on having a huge production brewery because your tastes may not reflect, you know, unless you have tastes that reflect everybody else's, which most of us don't get into the industry because that's the case. Um, well, case in point, Matt, how many breweries now in Australia, small breweries, independent breweries, are making a lager or a Kolsch or a Berliner Weiss that, you know, 15 years ago would never have been thought of? Oh, and, it's, it's all going to be big double IPAs, and we're going to get bigger and bigger. And it's this, you know, race to the top. It was, you know, the arms race. And, and Whereas now we're realizing, yeah, actually, you know what, you know what sells. That and and that's exactly it. But then think about it. Once, you know, craft beer, this thing that we call craft beer, was a rebellion against the anodyne nature of lagers. Everyone, you know, the, the only things that you could get were lagers, and so. Um, you know, flavor adventurous beers um, captivated the, the beer world. As the circle turns, if you are going to go back to making, you know, really good versions of those uh, mainstream lagers, you're always going to be much more expensive than the guys who make those lagers very, very well and very, very efficiently and distribute them much more cost effectively than you do. How do you invest value um, in your product that you know makes people want to have that over you know the the James Squire Pilsner or the um, Little Creatures Pilsner, for example, um, which they'll always be able they'll, they'll make much more money, they'll do it much cheaper, and they'll get it out to market much more quickly. Um, and that's where things like brand and you know um, dare I say independence, the, the value of independence comes in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, now, that, I think, covers off the news. But, Matt, have we, um, just as I uh, check through my show notes here, have we got a new, um, a new... A new uh, segment? Segment. No. Headline of the week. <laughs> no, this was just headline something coming of the week. <laughs> just, uh, it's a little bit of uh, headline bingo. Um, just one that I saw came up in my feed and, you know, had tipped to the Queensland Times out at Ipswich, um, talking about... <laughs> Tapped, uh, which is the uh, at the Prince Alfred, Prince Albert, Prince Alfred, I think it is, um, which is a seventy-two. Is tap that a hospital or a pub? It's a pub. Uh, seventy-two okay, tap cool. venue out at out at Ipswich. Um, but they, oh yes, yes, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah so so, so they, they were recognised in the QHA awards this week. Um, actually, hat tip to Matty Curry, who was named publican Queensland publican of the year um, down at Boardwalk. Oh, nice. Uh, very well deserved because uh, probably not, a, certainly not a household name and probably not even much outside of, you know, the, the craft beer bubble in Brisbane itself. He um, would be largely forgotten stal- about by... Stalwart, stalwart, veteran, 
Uh, he's really sort of put in the. He did a lot of the the really hard work. He ploughed a lot of the um, the virgin fields when when everything else was forex and. Absolutely. Um, he, well, his family baby. owned the Spotted Cow in Toowoomba. Um, Spotted, that's the one. Which is where Ian Watson, a, you know, um, a, a, yep. a very good friend of mine, um, you know, sort of my uh, one, one of my beer mentors, um, who's now brewing at uh, Slipstream. Slipstream, um, yeah. But, and uh, a very, very talented palate. A, a very, very good palate. You know, forensic palate, um, uh, you know, a, a real, um, you know, sort of zen um Brewer as well, but uh, yeah. So he got his start up at the Spotted Cow. You know, he was a plumber who wandered in and um, was harassing, you know, harassing them for you know what's new and what's interesting. And I heard this beer is available. Um, and uh, so when Matt left the family uh, business and st- started managing the Grand Central Hotel, um, he saw craft beer as a way to to market that. And uh, it's where I started regularly doing the, the good beer lunches that morphed into Beer Mat. And uh, so he, no one who has discovered beer in the last five years would even have heard of him because he subsequently bought his own pub, um, the Boardwalk, down at Sanctuary Cove. Um, and it wasn't a craft beer place. And, you know, 10 years later, he's uh, now, he, he sent me a photo this week, he's now starting to get craft beer on there because he feels that that local market is ready um, for craft beer. So, so well done to Matt Curry. So he picked up a, an award at the Queensland Hotel Association's awards. Absolutely. But going back to headline right? of the week, yeah. So yep. uh, the <laughs> the Queensland Times reported on the PA uh, the the, the um, PA Untapped um, winning an award with the headline "Dynamic Approach to Slinging Beer Keeps Punters Coming Back." The only oh, thing, if only they change beer for booze. If to if they yeah slinging, you know, they booze, would have got a full line on a booze news bingo. <laughs> yeah, so slinging booze keeps punters slinging coming booze back. Punters coming back. Beautifully done. Um, if you do see, if any, yeah, any of our listeners, if you do manage to um, uh, see a headline, let us know, and we'll pop it in, and uh, we'll see if we can make headline of the week a regular thing. The other thing I want to um, call on our listeners, Matt, if I can indulge just for a little bit. Um, loyal listener to the program and a good friend of the program, although I don't think he – I think he's promised a lot of times to, to support us financially, but um, I'm sure the I'm sure the check's in the mail. Uh, Mazen Hajar from um, from Hawker's Beer. Uh, as does, of he 15th, listen to the, does he listen to the podcast? He will now. Okay. He's, uh, well, it, yeah. He's, I've told him that I've mentioned him. He goes, so I'm going to listen back, and if you don't, I'm – going to do rude things to you so he's he has to listen now and i'll uh text him as soon as we finish this but as of october the 15th he has become a neutralized naturalized citizenship he's got he's an australian resident or a sit he's got some sort of thing so we can't kick him out now without cause what i need our listeners to do is to uh jump on the facebook page and give us a list of things that now that muzzin is a true blue dinky die aussie what things does he need to know or what things does he need to do now to fully, uh, I guess, you know? Well, the, shoot- the, 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 the first part of that is easily disposed of because he doesn't need to know anything because he knows everything already. <laughs> well, it's, hang on, are you saying that's because, <laughs> because it's Muzzin or now that he's Australian? No, because he it's Muzzin, he just knows everything. <laughs> oh, God, well, he's going to listen now. <laughs> Love you, uh, Muzzin. But yeah, so... Send it in. Send, send it in. What do, what does he need to know now that he's an Australian, um, and and what things does he need to do to to tick himself off as a, a dyed in the in the wool proper dinky dye, John Williamson slim dusty style Aussie. Absolutely. Um, which brings us to 
mailbag. Uh, don't forget to review us on iTunes, or you can send us an email. Now that we've got the Facebook group up, which is working really beautifully, you can uh, pop a uh, either a, a response or a comment or uh, add something to it. And uh, and thank if- you for those who have been giving us story tips as well. You know, because we we can't be everywhere. Um, well, we can't have our eyes everywhere. We do appreciate you letting us know things that you've seen um, that might be uh, of interest to yeah, Bruce News. Other listeners and to us and to us, uh, all letter writers, of course, will receive a beautiful Brews News bottle opener, and they will also go into the draw to win a mixed six pack of indie Australian beer. Thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, who sponsor our letter of the week. And speaking of Beer Cartel, um, and I don't want to break any embargoes, but this won't be going out until later tonight. Um, the Beer Cartel uh, Craft Beer Survey is being announced at six o'clock tonight, so around about the time that this goes live. Um, And without saying too much uh, uh, about it, um, we were named the... Who came top out of us? Who came top out of us? Well, we we came... Sorry, Young Ones reference. Yeah, yeah, no, well, we came... um, We were the number one beer podcast, according to the 23-odd thousand people who voted in the um, survey. Oh, that's nice. Well done, Matt. Well, I don't know, mate. We're uh, not into backslapping or, you know, well, backpacking or anything. Well, you know, because when, panting. like last year, um, yeah, I think, and I think we came, Bruce News came we're second like third to or Crafty Pint. Um, oh, I think we came third or fourth. And, and, and yeah, like again, you know, when, when, you, when something that publishes every day came second to 250 beers that hadn't published for, you know, two or three years, no criticism of the, the 250 beers blog, but, you know, as Darren himself admitted, he hadn't posted for a couple of years and he was still uh, sort of rating. You sort of wonder just how valuable some sections of, of that survey are. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's nice. So th- that was more a case of thanking the listeners who obviously um, we, we mentioned it on the podcast and they went out and uh, voted. So, yeah, look, it, it, it's nice that people are listening. And it, it, what was nicer that people felt um, inclined to actually go and answer the question for the, for the survey um, based on that. So, but uh, yes, so look, look for our full coverage of the survey a little bit later tonight. All right. Now, back to the mailbag. Uh, so don't forget... Uh to review us, all that sort of stuff. Um, iTunes or whatever format you get your podcast through, if there's any uh, opportunity, not just to, you know, to say nice things, say whatever you like, it doesn't matter. But it's uh, if you find value in what we provide, then it's easier for you guys to help other people find us than it is for us to sort of, again, shout into the empty room. Yeah, and give it a shout out if you're on Twitter, um, if you're on Facebook, um, if you wouldn't mind just sort of sharing. Yeah, retweet, you know, repost, re- re- reshare, that sort of thing, because it, it does help other people um, find it. Um, it's also how we find uh, other podcasts of interest outside of the beer sphere, um, but also within the beer sphere in, um, in, other, in other markets. Because as I say, you know, beer is beer is beer. It's been around for a very long time. Exactly. exactly. There's not a lot of uh, reinventing of the wheel going on. Uh, now, on the Australian Brews News page, re, yep. um, Pure Blonde Organic, we had from Brett McCluskey. He was pretty much uh, commenting what the article sort of raised about, um, you know, organic versus carbon carbon miles. So I'm not sure yeah. whether Brett is a listener to the podcast, but Brett, if you are, please shoot us your postal address and we'll... Uh, you're in the draw for the six-pack and you'll definitely get a bar blade. Yeah. Uh, now, David Browning Black, 
Um, this was from the Facebook group. Re your chat with Phil Sexton. Excellent news. Matilda Bay, uh, brackets with Phil, was some of my first Australian craft, and the Redback was groundbreaking in its time. His innocent bystander range of wines has been some of my favourite Yarra Valley vintages. So, and that's another thing I, I think people probably don't realise that, you know, um, Phil is not just a, an innovator and a, I guess what, you know, the cool kids today would call a disruptor, um, but it, it, it's all about product it's about you know being genuine to your craft i guess sounds like a really you know loaded wankery kind of term but with phil it's it's writ large it really is i guess what he's about um that's that's a thing i've always felt and and for me as i it was an honor to meet phil and interestingly i met him at the launch of bridgeport brewing uh when they distributed started distributing in australia and so I was invited along um, upstairs at the European. We had oh, freshly shucked oysters. We had it was absolutely magnificent. But I actually got to to meet Phil for the first time, and it was um, again, Matt. Uh, that was my fanboy moment. Uh, absolutely, and mate, I, I was fascinated. There was so much to talk to him, and I don't want to sort of go back again. But I was fascinated that he was the first bloke to bring in Krona to Australia. Um, yeah, yeah. So all, all of those things. So yeah. Anyway, it just shows how uh, ideas, how ideas, man. The industry Making has business. changed. Yeah. But, uh, so, but David Browning Black, uh, if you're listening, please uh, get in touch through the Facebook group and or through message us and give us your postal address um, so we can send you a barblade and you're in the running for a uh, six pack um, of yeah. beer. Now, Pete, we've also got two new. Um, reviews on iTunes that we parked from last oh, week. We held, held over from last week, yes. Yep. Read those so, out, Matt. So Ed Noll, um, I hope that's how you pronounce it. Um, How's it pronounced? Uh, spelled? N-O-L-L-E. So Ed Nolly. Ed, Ed Nolly Nolly. from um, Dollar Bill. Ed and Fiona. Ah, okay. Dollar Bill Brewing in um, uh, at Bella Ratway. Ah, wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ed. Uh, please... Um, Please get in touch uh, and send us your postal address so we can send you a barblade and put you in the running. Um, love the show, informative and entertaining content, even funny sometimes. Um, <laughs> I wonder that's, whether no, that's that's pretty high price coming from Ed. Ed is, uh, um, I've had very limited um, dealings with with Ed and Fiona, but they are just absolutely salt of the earth, god honest, lovely people. Um, but yeah, for him to say that, I think that I, that's high praise, Matt. Okay, oh, I'm just wondering. He, he's, he's not. He, yeah, uh, not one to sort of you know throw platitudes around uh, willy nilly. Yeah, I'm just sort of wondering whether the informative bits are the funny bits sometimes, <laughs> and the funny bits are the uh... informative. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Um, and the other one was uh, Cold Fusion. Um, goes by the name of Cold Fusion. Uh, please get in touch um, again um, as an aspiring pro brewer. Um, a prosumer, as we like to say, it's a and actually prosumer, Pete. You've uh, credited me with inventing, um, and I. It was another one that I looked up um, because I don't like to take credit for these things. Alvin Toffler um, invented uh, prosumer in the nineteen seventies. Oh, there you go, futurist Alvin Toffler. So again, I wasn't aware of that, but uh, um, I, I'm ploughing some fields that other people have already played um but as well it does show too how you we're influenced you know we you you hear things and then you sort of start saying them and then you know down the track you all of a sudden you go actually i don't know where i heard that or did i hear it or did Did i I hear it or but yeah yeah um i still haven't found a uh predating source for bintang effect so i'm owning that one um as an an aspiring pro brewer it's a fantastic way to get intelligent and non-biased view and understanding of the industry and the people who make us great beer 
Um, actually, that's that. I take that as very high praise as well. Um, that's very so, nice. Yeah. So thank you very much, Cold Fusion. Please get in touch and um, please keep us, uh, you know, informed about your aspirations to become a pro brewer. It's one of, been one of my things I, um, when I was back writing my Beer Blokes blog was uh, meeting Dave Benight and, and getting the whole story of, you know, gee, at one stage, you know, before I knew you, long before, you were, you know, brewing in your back shed and, and perhaps having aspirations to one day, you know, get out of the banking business and, and, and become a brewer. And boom, all of a sudden it's, you know, Dave. Um I would love to sort of, you know, go back, I guess, and, and find uh, a keen home brewer and kind of follow their story and see, you know, do, how difficult is it now? Um, it was difficult for Dave because he was, you know, there, there weren't any others. Now he's broken the ground and made it so much easier for other people to say, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. There's the, uh, I guess, the blueprint. But now it's so much harder because you're one of 600 Exactly. Yeah. So hopefully we can provide a little bit of information that cuts through some of that. But uh, yeah, no, it's nice. Now the uh, only other thing I'm going to just from the mailbag, and we we really do need to bring this to a close. The Radio Brews News competition uh, for our bonus content, and sorry for that it took a little while for the bonus content to get up. There was a lot going on. Um, The bonus content winner was. Mitch Munro, who uh, won the Frame Family Brewers Pilsner that I muled back, uh, especially, and uh, a bottle opener, so you can open it. And I think there might have even been, uh, Sam might have even thrown something else in as, as, as a bonus. Oh, there we go. Hmm. So, yeah, so well done. So and that was, you. yeah, the, it was the first one to, uh, the code word was insidious creep. Yes. yes. The code phrase. Yeah. Code phrase. <laughs> so, actually, you know, and I had a nice um, comment from Brad from Rallings yesterday who'd listened to, to that and uh, he commented that for all of the stick I've given Stone over the years he thought that the that, that conversation uh, was very very balanced you know and celebrated the best that Stone offers yeah and look it wasn't until we went we caught up just before we we bid each other farewell at uh, San Diego airport and we were drinking some Stone there and got chatting to old mate who'd been looking after us um and, and perhaps, you know, next time if we get the opportunity, it would be good to rather than go all the way out to Escondido, which, as I say, it, it, it's a destination and it's well worth they, – they really do it really well. Um, I'd also love to see how they do a tap room, mm. the uh, the Liberty Station um, facility that they have uh, a little bit closer to town. We'll just have to go back. That's it. <laughs> anyway, mate, this has been going uh, – uh, I think we've – Long enough, yeah. let's just say. Uh, thank you very much to uh, to Crime Alt, who have been, as I say, a long-time supporter. Uh, can't thank them enough. To Rellings Label Stickers and Packaging, who have been um, great supporters of what we do as well, and to Beer Cartel. Uh, thank you to you, Matt. Thank you to you too, been Pete. A pleasure yet again, uh, bringing everyone the news in case they did miss it. And as we always do, thank you very much uh, to all of our listeners and readers for making all of this possible. Thanks very much, and we'll see you all again for the next episode of Radio Brews News. Of Good Brews Week. It's Good Brews Week. It's Can good you edit Brews that week. out, please, Joe? Radio. Thanks. No, I don't. We're not. Oh, okay, so when we I stuff up, I listen back, and you go, mumbling, and it all gets cut out. I make no, one slip up. Oh, let that in. I don't know. I don't Sorry, I didn't mean to do, flog voice here. <laughs> Does it get cut out? I don't know. And we're out. And we're out. Press stop. Just, just press stop.
Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. 